Today on Hardwired. John is about to see and hear is prophetic in nature because look what Jesus says to him. I will show you what must happen after this. So now we're slipping into the prophetic. He's no longer addressing churches in the present tense, but he's talking now the future. So we're going now into prophecy and it's prophecy for the rest of the book, chapter four through 22. It's all prophecy. You're listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. It's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and hear about how the truth of God's word can make a huge difference as it's hardwired into your life, your relationships, and your future. You may be stuck in traffic or maybe even stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help you get on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. And if for any reason you have to break away before the end of the program, you can always catch it at our website, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. So let's go ahead and get right into today's message. Here's Pastor Jeff to set it up for us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your very busy day. Well, we have just started a brand new series through the book of Revelation that I've called A New World is Coming. And indeed it is. There is a brand new world coming with Jesus at the head. But until then, we have the book of Revelation that predicts so many things about the days that are approaching very quickly for us. And today we're going to look at John sees heaven. One of the powerful things that John experienced was the Holy Spirit took him up into heaven and John saw things that no mortal had ever seen and he shared them with us and so we get to see a little bit of what John saw in heaven. So grab your Bible, grab something to write with, take notes on this series. This will be something you can go back to over and over again in the days to come and let's look right now at today's message, John sees heaven and let's see what he saw. Let's recap a little bit. Last time we looked at the seven churches to which John initially addresses his revelation, but it really wasn't John at all, it was Jesus. Jesus, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, not John. And here's the churches, Ephesus, and we gave one little adjective next to every church name to tell you what sort of uh, typified or characterized this particular church. So Ephesus was the lacking church. They'd lost their first love. Smyrna was the loyal church. Jesus had not one word of criticism for them. And there was only two of them. He did not correct. Pergamos was the lax church. Thyatira was the loose church. Sardis, the lifeless church. Philadelphia, the loving church. No correction for Philadelphia either. And Laodicea was the lukewarm church. And I share with you that I really believe if we're, if we're in a church age and these represent church ages, we're in Laodicea, the lukewarm church, the time of apostasy and materialism dominating the church instead of spiritual riches, the, the emphasis on money and not on spiritual wealth. And that's Laodicea. And how many of you know we're there? Now, not us here, but by and large, that's what you see with the Western church. Now, we come to chapter four, where John is caught up into the throne room of God. Now, 
just so that we don't kind of read this and it, it, we go, wow, that's kind of cool and that's neat. And it goes in one ear and out the other. I want to just cause us to, to stop a minute and just think. John is being taken to heaven, the real heaven. And what he sees and what he writes down, you and I would never know if he had not been shown this. This is pure revelation, all right? So how many of you believe one day you're gonna be in heaven? How many of you have wondered what it looks like? What's up there? What are they doing up there right now, okay? John is gonna give us an idea of what's going on in heaven. He is about to be taken up into heaven. He is literally gonna be there looking around, seeing the sights of heaven, and then he's going to write what he saw and what he heard. So we're getting a sort of a dress rehearsal. We're getting an idea of what heaven is really actually going to be like. Not what you imagine it to be, but what it's really going to be like. So now it should be noted when we get to verse one of chapter four, and I'm going to read it as soon as I make this comment. Many Bible teachers hold to the belief that verse one and verse two, which records John being commanded to come up here, represents the rapture of the church. They will literally teach, and that's okay. If that's what you believe, that's not heresy by any stretch. But many believe that when John is commanded, come up here, that that is the rapture of the church. It's, it's symbolizing the rapture of the church. Now, I'm teaching this series so I can tell you what I think. The text doesn't say that. So I don't want to read something into it that isn't there. Now listen very carefully to me. There's two things you can do with reading the Bible and the way you interpret it. Exegesis or eisegesis, all right? E-X-a-Jesus or E-I-S-a-Jesus, all right? Exegesis is when you pull out of the text what God intended you to get from it, what God intended to say. Your job as a Bible teacher is to interpret what God intended you to get from it. And it's a skill. There's examples I could use, but we don't have time. You have to know that interpreting the Bible is a learned skill. Now, not with everything. Everybody understands John three sixteen. We get it. But when you go into something like the book of Revelation, you need to be sure that you're exegeting and not eisegeting. Now, what is eisegesis? E-I-S is a Greek word that means into. And what you're doing is you're reading into it what you want it to say, what you wish it said, other than what it directly says, what God meant to say. Now, for whatever reason, our country is filled with eisegetes. They're all over social media. I hear people teaching things. I go, what did you eat this morning? Or what have you been smoking? That that's what you get out of this text. Because that's not what it says, all right? See, I'm very careful because God's word says in Revelation 22, if you take from it or you add to it, you're gonna get the curses that are in that book. So I have a real fear of the Lord with teaching the Bible because the teacher is gonna receive many stripes and I'm gonna to answer to God. I'm gonna give an account for how I taught you. That's what it says. 
Now, that alone scares me in a good way. All right? So I want to be real careful. I'm telling you what it says, not what I want it to say. When you hear a teacher, you ought to get good enough with the word that you are saying, wait a minute, now, is that in the Bible? Is he eisegeting or is he exegeting? Is this an eisegete I'm listening to? Because there's some good eisegetes out there. It'll make you think that it says something it never said. And there's not as many good exegetes. But you need to ask yourself, is he or she, are they exegeting or are they eisegeting? Now, that's free. That's not in my notes. But I want you to know that. So I don't see, here's the verse, verse one, uh, chapter four, verse one. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, read it, everybody, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Well, when I read this, I can't make that say it's the rapture of the church because he uses the personal pronoun, you, singular, John. Come up here. It's not a plural. It's a singular. Now, having said that, what we do know is that after chapter three, the church is never again shown on the earth in the book of Revelation. It's never again on earth. After chapter three, the church is always found in heaven worshiping God. So is it possible that the rapture happens before this terrible time period called the great tribulation? Yes. I believe that at any moment we could be raptured. One of my dreams is that I'm preaching hard and hot and heavy and come up here. We really do go up and that's the way I meet Jesus. Jesus said, and boom, I'm there. All right. That's a great dream of mine. Now, if you disappear and I'm still here, I'm repenting. All right. Now, so it is worth noting that after chapter three, there's no sight of the church on earth. The redeemed are always in heaven. And we're going to see some of that tonight. Now, verse one also tells us that what John is about to see and hear is prophetic in nature, because look what Jesus says to him. I will show you what must happen after this. So now we're slipping into the prophetic. He's no longer addressing churches in the present tense, but he's talking now the future. So we're going now into prophecy and it's prophecy for the rest of the book, chapter four through 22. It's all prophecy. Chapter four, we're gonna see is all about showing God in complete control of all things. He's ruling the universe from his throne and fully knowledgeable of what the future holds. That's what we're going to see in chapter four. A magnificent, sovereign, in charge of everything, God. Look at verse two. Instantly I was in the spirit and behold, a throne sitting in heaven and one, capital O, sat on the throne. Wow. In chapters four and five, an incredible drama is about to unfold before John's eyes. Here's what he's going to see. He's going to see the absolute sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. God is sovereign, not the devil, not man. God is sovereign. Second thing, the absolute authority of Jesus Messiah over the earth. He has total authority over the earth. Not the devil, not wicked people, Jesus. The third thing we're going to see is the hand of God in the coming world tribulation. The world is about to be thrust into 
what is called the Great Tribulation. These two chapters are like a prelude to hell. We're going to see God's in charge. We're going to see the worship that goes on in heaven. But after four and five, we meet the horsemen of the apocalypse and the great tribulation begins. So we need this prelude. We need to see that God's in charge. We need to see the magnificence of the creator. We, we need to see that he's got it all under control because of what's about to go down. John is left totally speechless by what he witnesses. First, God's royalty on the throne is described with breathtaking symbology, all right? Let's read verse three. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. Now, this is the one on the throne. He's brilliant as, John is going, what's he like? I have to say gemstones. Like Jasper and Sardius and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Can we imagine it? Please, everybody, think. Let your sanctified imagination run with this. I mean, we're seeing color, beauty, magnificence. Pastor Jeff will be back in a moment, but first I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Now, you may not be able to stay with us for the entire program, but don't worry. You can find the program at our website, hardwired.org, along with all of the programs from Pastor Jeff. Also, we regularly get emails and calls from listeners just like you who tell us how much the program means to them. But we would love to hear from you too. So let me encourage you to connect with us by calling 877-884-3111 or through the website, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. Or call 877-884-3111. And now let's get back to Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's program. Three gemstones are mentioned. Jasper. What does Jasper look like? It's clear crystal stone, and it pictures purity here. Sardius is deep red stone, and no doubt pictures the blood of the lamb. Because the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. Matter of fact, the whole Bible is all about Jesus, stem to stern. Okay? So you got purity pictured. You have the blood of the lamb pictured. Then an emerald. It's light green stone, and that symbolizes always in the Bible majesty royalty. So these are the pictures God is giving us of this magnificent throne sitting in heaven right now. It hadn't moved since he saw it. Next, John sees something else. 24 thrones surrounded him, the one sitting on the throne, and 24 elders sat on them. Now, look how it describes them. They were all clothed in white, and they all had gold crowns on their heads. Well, what does this mean? Who are they? Who are these 24 elders? Well, there's no doubt in my mind, they represent the church. They represent all of the redeemed believers worshiping before God because of the way they're described. They're clothed in white. So are you. God looking at you right now, he doesn't see our failings, our flaws, our imperfections. He sees the blood of the lamb covering all of our sin, and we are clothed in white as far as God is concerned, right? So the elders, they're all dressed in white, and that is a perfect picture of purity and redemption, and it's repeated throughout Scripture. Now, they had crowns on their heads that were of gold. Crowns always speak of rewards and authority. The Bible is very clear that we all as individuals and part of Christ's church will receive rewards. You know that, right? 
Read 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the bema or the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne judgment. That's when sin is gonna be judged. The bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is when not our sin, but the church's works are going to be tested and tried and rewarded or not. And they will be comprised of or likened unto gold, silver, and precious stones, the good works for which there'll be a reward or wood, hay, and stubble that'll be burned up by the fire of testing. You won't receive a reward for that. So there'll be crowns given out. There's the soul winner's crown. There's the pastor's crown. There's the perseverer's crown. I think there's at least five crowns in the Bible, all rewards that believers are gonna receive. Rewards. So we're gonna receive good ones if we involve ourselves in genuine good works, which are works that we do for his glory, not our own, in obedience to him, not our own will, that point people to him, not us. Good works, we receive a reward. Now, next, John observes more about this throne that is sitting in heaven. Folks, again, I say, right now, it's there. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Wow. As if it wasn't enough to grab your attention, you know, the gemstones. Now we got thunder, lightning, torches burning in front of it. Now the lightning and thunder, John witnesses, represent the awesome judgments and righteousness of God that are about to be released onto the world. There's no question. That's what the thunder is all about. Judgment is about to fall on a Christ-rejecting world. Then John notes, in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. I almost want to say we can't take much more. Gemstones, thunder, lightning, burning lamps. But now, stretched out in front of the throne, a shiny sea that looks like glass. The sea of glass represents eternity. One of the most permanent substances to the ancients was glass. Everything else rusted, you know, fell apart, eroded, but not glass. Glass doesn't rust, doesn't fall apart, doesn't erode. Glass pictured eternity to the ancients and God's sovereign throne we're being shown here is eternal. His throne is from everlasting to everlasting. So that's the picture language here that we're being shown. It's an eternal throne. And I say again, church, it's there right now. It hadn't moved. Nothing has changed since he saw it. It's fixed. How many of you would like to see it in person? I'm telling you, you will. You will. Next in verses, I, I can't wait. Right? Walk on that sea of glass. Stand in front of that throne. Man, next in verse six to eight, John sees this is like out of Steven Spielberg, but here we go. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a young bull, the third had a face like a human, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes inside and out. <laughs> Man! 
without stopping day or night, they are singing. Read it with me, everybody. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Come on, that's not everybody. Read it again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is what? Coming. Wow. Now remember, the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament, types and shadows and pictures of the Messiah to come. The Old Testament looks forward to the cross and the resurrection. The New Testament epistles look back on the cross and the resurrection. The Old Testament anticipates Christ. The New Testament celebrates Christ. All right, but the whole Bible is about Christ. Every book in the Bible, all 66, are loaded with pictures, types, and shadows, or outright messages and meeting Jesus face to face in the Gospels. But, but the whole Bible is about Christ. All of it, it's a book about Jesus, one way or the other. Now, that being said, the book of Revelation is focused on the glorious risen Messiah and his imminent return. So these living creatures speak of the Lord. So let's look at them. We see the first creature was like a lion. Well, that symbolizes the kingship of Christ. Christ is the conquering ruler of all. Amen? Was he called the what of Judah? Lion. The second creature was like a calf. Another version says bull, but symbolizing the priesthood of Christ because calves or bulls were sacrificed to atone for Israel's sins. So likewise, our Lord was the sacrifice for our sins. He alone can wash away our sins by his blood. So the calf or the bull here represents his priesthood, his shed blood in order to redeem us. The third creature was like a man, symbolizing the humanity of Christ. What did he call himself in the book of Mark all the time? The son of man, the son of man. Jesus Christ is son of man, one of us, born of a woman. That's the gospel. God made flesh, and he precedes us as the firstborn from the dead. Yet he remains close to us, knocking at our door, seeking to fellowship and abide with us. He's the son of man. The fourth creature was like an eagle, symbolizing the divinity of Christ. Jesus was truly God. He was all man, all God, all God, all man. And he never gave up his divinity. He never gave up his divinity ever. When he was on the cross, he didn't give up his divinity. When he came to be born a human being, he didn't give up his divinity. He was always all God, all man, all man, all God. So here we're seeing his divinity in the fourth creature, the eagle. Jesus was truly God from eternity, having arisen from the dead and ascended on high, lives forever far above all things like the soaring of an eagle. So a lion, a calf, a man, an eagle, these living creatures are all preaching and testifying of Jesus Christ. Chapter four closes out with John observing a profound worship session in heaven. One thing I saw, and we're gonna see in this study, is what's going on in heaven? Worship. If you don't like worship, you're in big trouble in heaven. You know, if you're one of these God's frozen chosen and you can't you know, really get into worshiping God, you better learn now. Because what I see in the book of Revelation is that's all that's going on up there. All right, watch this. 
Verse nine, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, to the one who lives forever and ever, look what happens in verse 10, the 24 elders representing the church bow in front of the one who sits on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they take the crowns off their head and put them before the throne. They give them back. And they say, our Lord and God, you deserve to receive glory, honor, and power because you created everything. Everything came into existence and was created because of your will. Can I tell you tonight, you are not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You've been listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. It would mean the world to us to know how the program has helped you today. So take a quick minute and give us a call, 877-884-3111. Or you can connect with us at our website, hardwired.org. And if you enjoy the program as much as we love bringing it to you, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. There are daily costs associated with the program, and we truly do depend on the faithful financial support of our listeners like you to allow us to be on this station. So please, consider partnering with us today with your gifts to this ministry. You can call us at 877-884-3111 or go to the website hardwired.org. Again, call 877-884-3111 or at our website, hardwired.org. Thank you for your loyal partnership as we couldn't do this without you. And finally, Pastor Jeff is the founder and senior pastor of the vibrant Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. If you're ever in the area, we hope you'll stop by and say hi. And let us know that you listen to the program. That would really make our day. And Pastor Jeff would love to meet you personally too. So till next time, have a great day. And thanks so much for listening to Hardwired.